Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Cocaine Cowboys, the deadly rise of Ireland's drug lords in association with Crime World. The live show is on sale now. We're coming to Belfast Waterfront Studio on Saturday, April 27th. Check mcd.ie or venue for ticket details. They went through that and decided then that Soldier F was going to be prosecuted. But then we had another case which collapsed. It was the case um, of two soldiers who had been charged in relation to troubles killing. And the PPS said after that, look, none of these cases are viable. They're not going anywhere. And so they withdrew them all. The families then appealed that and that became another legal, legal challenge. And so we're now at the, the position where earlier this week that they announced that Soldier F would in fact face prosecution. Although the question is, will he? I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A former British soldier is to stand trial for two murders and five attempted murders, which happened on Bloody Sunday in Derry almost 52 years ago, a court heard this week. So who is the accused known only as Soldier F? And what is he alleged to have done that day? A civil rights march was turned into a bloodbath. Today, I'm talking with Belfast Telegraph crime correspondent Alison Morris about the possibility of his trial going ahead and about the legacy the paratroopers left on a city marked by murder. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. 
So when Soldier F uh, appears for trial for murdering William McKinney and James Ray and the attempted murder of five others on Bloody Sunday, it'll be what, 52 years after the event. I mean, we had a cold case murder investigation here that uh, ended up in a conviction in court this year. It was the coldest case they called it in Ireland and it was, what, 42 years. I mean, you're talking another 10 here. It's taken a long time for these families to see anybody standing in the dock. It's been a massive, massive campaign to even get this far. The Bloody Sunday families are very unique um, in terms of how they have I suppose conducted themselves over over the years. To to take it back, it's sort of like I always think when you look at back at the beginning of this, it's almost like a sort of making you know the the sort of making a murder like type Netflix type almost show because when you you look at what happened originally, they had the the witchery tribunal which happened quite soon after. So Bloody Sunday takes place on the thirtieth of January, nineteen seventy two. The paratroopers attack a civil rights march, um, and. After that, there's an inquiry where Widgery was a whitewash. Basically, he more or less justified the actions of the British Army in that day. I think he said they might have been like slightly over exuberant or whatever, but um, it was justified in what had happened. And so for years, that stood as the story of Bloody Sunday um, for, for those families who were left um, praying, I suppose, in order to get justice for their loved ones and, and to vindicate their loved ones and, um, and get some vindication for their name. Because the, a lot of these cases, I deal with so many of those troubles related cases. And people in this case, they've now said that there will be a prosecution. Most of them have accepted prosecutions are unlikely or, or just aren't going to happen. But they still want that sort of justice or the vindication. So if someone is shot and they say that they were you know, a member of a paramilitary organisation, that's why they were targeted and the people know they weren't. Or if it's cases where maybe people are accused of having been informants and they were killed or, you know, involved in some sort of activity. And in this case, obviously, by saying it was justified, they they blackened the names of, of the dead. Mm-hmm. So that stood as, as the, the case for a long time. And then at some point then, um, we see the case going on, on to the, the families then contacted uh, Peter Madden. So one half of the sort of famous Madden Finucane, um legal firm. Um, the other half of that obviously being Pat Finucane, who was himself then murdered by loyalists. And they started then trying to get together some sort of information for some kind of campaign. Um, it turned out to be such a big case that they had to bring in lots and lots of other staff and solicitors and solicitors and partners in that case came in. Um, and that was when they 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 brought in um, people from Derry to try and track, track down and look for, for all of the, the people who were on that march because they became witnesses. So Fergal and Karen Shields, who were two guys from Derry, two brothers, who are now partners in Madden and Finucan, they had the painstaking job of come back and finding everyone who was at the march. And some of them had immigrated to other countries. Some of them still lived there. Some still lived in the same addresses and collecting statements from them and then started piecing together what exactly had happened. They went to such lengths that, you know, the solicitor's firm, they made, they had like reconstructions done because the flats had been knocked down since then. So they had a reconstruction done of what the area looked like. They got ballistics experts. I think some guy in Texas or something who's the only person who had one of those original guns that were used by the parachute regiment at that time. And, they, so th- by the time then that the family had campaigned to get the Bloody Sunday inquiry, the Savile inquiry, a lot of the legwork had already been done by their, their legal firm. And Savile was just, you know, a huge, huge, huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I think in the Soldier F case, you were talking about, so they've now said the Soldier F is going to be prosecuted. There's 125,000 pages of evidence mm-hmm. um, that the prosecutors um, have in their receipt in relation to this case. So. You can imagine then what happened in terms of the Savile Inquiry. So 1998, 
who was then Prime Minister Tony Blair said, right, there's going to be a new inquiry headed by Judge Lord Savile. Um, and so that took 12 years. Came the longest running inquiry in British legal history. It cost about £200 million. And I remember very clearly the day sitting watching in the newsroom, you know, live as the, the findings were delivered um, in the Guildhall in Derry. And you see, you know, one of the victim's families putting their thumb out the window and giving the thumbs up and the crowd all cheers because that meant, you know, that they'd got what they wanted in terms of the truth mm. about what, what had happened. So the inquiry had found then that none of the casualties were posing a threat or doing anything that could have possibly justified their shooting. And the then British Prime Minister David Cameron apologised in Parliament um, for the killings and said that they were unjustified and unjustifiable, I think was the phrase he used. Yeah. So after that, the family says, well, there's evidence in this that needs to be examined. So the PSNI started a murder investigation. And so it took till then, till I think that was however many years that took, they presented the files to the PPS towards the end of 2016. So that's how long this part of it has been going on. Mm. Um, I had actually, you know, we had thought looking through Savile that there could have maybe been the prosecution of two or more soldiers. Um, but after then, they they went through that and decided then the soldier F was going to be prosecuted. But then we had another case which collapsed. It was the case um, of two soldiers who had been charged in relation to a troubles killing. And the PPS said after that, look, none of these cases are viable. They're not going anywhere. And so they withdrew them all. Mm. The families then appealed that and that became another legal a legal challenge. And so we're now at the, the position where earlier this week that they announced that Soldier F would in fact face prosecution. Although the question is, will he? Because remember, we have legacy legislation mm. that is currently being challenged in the High Court in Belfast. And what comes of that High Court challenge, I think that in the end will dictate whether or not Soldier F is actually prosecuted. I mean... What a, a marathon they've been through. I was actually up in Derry recently and I interviewed William McKinney's brother, Michael, uh, John Kelly, who lost his brother and Kieran Shields, one of the two solicitors you've mentioned. And he showed me the whole area where there was 13 people shot dead and 15 others injured when members of that Army Parachute Regiment opened fire on the civil rights demonstration. It's tiny. It's like, you know, it's in the bog side, but yeah. it's like the, the size, so small. And we looked at exactly where people fled and we spoke about how many of them were shot in the back as they were running and all the rest of it. Um, I'd never properly applied myself to Bloody Sunday uh, and I had never been in Derry before, actually. But, you know, so it was it was really interesting and I got very interested in the case because of it. And Soldier F sort of, um, you know, I actually popped on to the case the other day on the, the link and I heard him talking. Now, he only talked to answer he, that he was there. And they asked him, was he going to give any evidence? And he said no. And uh, they asked him another question. And he replied no. He was obviously one of the many significant people there that day. But, you know, he's accused at least of being uh, a murderer, a mass murderer, really, on that day. Um, while the orders were given, the soldiers seemed to have lied to the first inquiry, given false statements, lied all the way. And by the sounds of him the other day, he is pissed off at the position he's in, uh, very clipped in his answers. He just sounds uh, sort of, I have to say, kind of arrogant and uh really unhappy where where he's at but clearly he's going to they're going to wait and see what the result of that high court is as to whether or not this will go ahead but soldier f where has he been since do we know anything about him 
like he was only a young man then, wasn't he? He was in his early 20s, was in this parachute regiment. He was a highly trained, highly skilled killer sniper. And he's, you know, in the last 52 years, what's he been doing? Well, a lot of those soldiers, um, some of them left the army straight off that, some of them stayed on. You know, we've had um, cases like well, last month, just in, in November, you had the the death at the age of 90 of Lieutenant Colonel Derek Wilford, who was the in charge and in command of the, the parachute regiment on Bloody Sunday. He's the man who was given the orders. But as you said, Soldier F seemed to be the one who was doing a lot of the, he did a lot of the shooting on that day. And the thing that struck me and the same after on that sort of walk, we walked through where the barricade was, where the shooting happened. And people, I suppose, maybe are or are not surprised to know that there's still bullet holes in the walls mm, from mm. Bloody Sunday. And you can still see them if you walk walk up along that way. And you can see the exact spot where some of those bullets hit. Um, and it is tiny, as you said. And everybody in Derry, Derry's not a big place yet anyway, but everybody... Um, and Derry knows someone who's either killed or injured or who's on at least someone who's on that civil rights march that day. It is has such an impact on that city. And, you know, it has, has such an impact on it lasting until this day. So Soldier F obviously was one of the, the renegade soldiers. There's a, there's a whole, um, I suppose, story list that goes into to what happened then too, because a lot of those soldiers then, some of them left the army. And remember a lot of soldiers at that time, especially British soldiers were, I suppose, what they would have called um, you know, there were economic recruits. There were people who came from, you know, poorer parts of the north of north of England. And a lot of them went on then to be mercenaries and joined um, mercenary, mercenary groups and fought in other places and other conflicts in Angola, especially some of the Bloody Sunday soldiers showed up. Mm-hmm. And that was because they were called the, the, the Wild Geese, the film The Wild Geese. That's yeah. obviously based on... Um, uh, that's what they call renegade renegade soldiers who go turn into mercenaries. Some of the bloody Sunday soldiers soldiers showed up there, and I still draft wasn't one of them. But yeah, he has. There's a, there's a whole campaign in England, um, led by people like Johnny Mercer. You know those what one one very posh Tory told me that they call them the military wing of the Conservative Party. People who either were ex soldiers or who served constituencies that have huge army bases on it. So therefore, obviously, a lot of their voters. And they are the people that have pushed for this current legislation that I've just, you know, spoke about the legislation mm. that will then give um, an amnesty to people, to anyone who gives information in relation to the, the troubles. And that is one of the, the reasons why that was pushed through is because when Boris Johnson fancied himself as being leader of the Conservative Party, he promised those backbenchers, those military wing of the Conservative Party, that he would find a way to make sure that there was no more prosecutions. Um, and so he then pushed that through. It carries on as it is to this day. It has been changed, obviously, after he left as British Prime Minister. It was changed and amended quite considerably and amended quite considerably in the Lords. But it's currently being challenged in the, the High Court. Another legal firm, Phoenix Law, are dealing with the, the victims, the three the three test cases in that case, to see whether it's compliant with European human rights law. But if it is, Soldier F, I'll, I'll never see the inside of the the, mm. the court. And that's, that's true. So. It was actually just looking there. There was Soldier G, who was one of the other people who um, was present on Bloody Sunday. He went to Angola to work as a, a paid mercenary, and he was killed in Angola. And apparently, his body was never was never found. He was linked to the shooting of Gerald McKinney and um, Gerald Donaghy mm. on that on that day. And he had also the the killing of Jim Ray. He was the person who worked alongside Soldier F. You know, they were working at Kirsch. 
Yeah. And he ended up at a bucket as a, a mercenary in Angola with a guy who I maintain, you know, if someone hasn't written a book about this, they really should. A guy called Costas Giorgio. He was a paratrooper. He was from he was uh from um British Cyprus. And he was the only reason he wasn't on Bloody Sunday. And you know, you could argue that if if uh Costas Giorgio had have made his way to Bloody Sunday that day, that the death toll would have been three or four times that because only for he had been dishonorably discharged. He'd taken um, guns from an army base and he robbed a post office. And so he was in a, a military prison on the day of, of Bloody Sunday because he had stole, it was £93 from a post office and banker. And had he been there, you know, people who were involved in the military at that time said the death toll could have been two or three times that because he was an absolute lunatic. Mm. He went on to Angola to work as a mercenary and ended up running, like actually leading the Angolan army. Right. Um, and he was killed. He killed a lot of his men because he thought he became paranoid and thought they were all trying to overthrow him and take his job. And Soldier J is one of the ones who then lost his life working for him. He advertised in an SAS magazine. It was it was called the Pegasus Journal. Mm. It was with a parachute regiment. Um, it was a magazine of the parachute regiment. And he advertised there. So a lot of those bloody Sunday parachute regiment soldiers, that's where they ended up though, at Angola. Who's afforded them the uh, the letters as opposed to their identities? And why is that? Obviously, because the military wouldn't you know, I don't suppose as a society we would agree with uh, identifying military personnel or people working. We see it quite a lot even now where if there's members of the security forces, members of PSNI charged with offences and they can be like domestic offences. Quite recently there was a there's a, a, a police officer who's charged in connection with an incident that took place at, at a wedding in the Galvorm Hotel right. and he tried to get anonymity saying, you know, my life's under threat and the judge says, no, there's no immediate threat. So what they would say is because it's such a high profile case and because of their background in the military that it would put their lives at risk. And so Soldier F, Soldier G even, who's dead, I couldn't name. I did a, an article about Soldier G going to Angola and him and Costas Giorgio running around Angola like two balloons. But I couldn't do, couldn't name him even in death because that anonymity order lasts even in their death. So they've been given that and we'll see that quite. So you've had, you know, Soldier B, Soldier A, we'll see. Quite a lot of them are, are given anonymity, but then you have people like Dennis Hutchins, who uh, who was con- wasn't convicted. He was mid trial for the um the the murder of uh, John Joe Cunningham, and he he died of COVID basically halfway through the trial. He was named. He tried to get anonymity and hadn't. So mm. it depends. It's case by case basis whether the judge awards awards them. But all of the bloody Sunday soldiers have anonymity until death. So we've got. The families who have been campaigning for all this time and having met uh, some of them, they seem to be as strong as ever they were to kind of see this out. You know, the Savile Inquiry was a great day for them. They talk about that and they talk about, you know, that sense of finally their loved ones who were accused of all sorts of um, criminality and rioting and stuff were kind of you know, they were they were given the dignity um, they deserved, but that they sort of almost immediately dust themselves down and said, this isn't enough. You know, we, we still are fighting for more. I find it extraordinary that after all those years, they still have the energy in them. And then, of course, there a lot of them are involved with the museum there in Derry, um, yeah. where you can go in and you can see some of the clothing and the photographs and everything that happened on that day. Um, well worth a visit for anybody who's in the area. But so you have They're those... They're not like you when you're in the museum, how small the clothing was. Yes, I know. I know. we were only probably 50 years ago, but people were just tiny and there's these tiny little yeah. jackets where, you know, teenage, you know, 
young men or teenage boys, but I mean, the, the, everything just looks so miniature almost. It's what we aspire to again, you know, to yeah, go back. Yeah. I think their diets probably were the, the reasoning it's, it's first. Just, and it's, and it's such a poignant, it's very simply done. The Bloody Sunday Museum, it's not all bells and whistles and interact. Yeah. It's just very simple. And it's very, very, very poignant, I thought. And that's what I said. I mean, anyone who visits, it said, if you go around, side of it you'll see the perspex covering the, the bullet holes from that day and it's good the way you can you know a lot of people working in it have connections to it I think probably a lot of yeah. people in Derry know somebody as you said that's kind of not huge um, but you can talk to them you know as you're going around yeah. or they're, they're very willing to, to chat to you but so you have that going on and then you have Soldier F in his 70s somewhere out there we don't know where in the world coming in on uh, remotely into the courtroom Um do you think he's feeling worried or? I think he's probably pissed off at this stage because, you know, these people did for a long time think that because they were, you know, in the pay of the state at the time that they were untouchable and that they would never see the inside of a court. Um, and obviously he's been told by people in government that this amnesty would protect him from future prosecutions and it may well still. And even if the court rules that any cases that are in train, which it now is because they've announced their prosecution, so you could argue this is now in train, have to continue um, and it's just no new cases will be prosecuted as a result of the new legislation. The legislation also changed the Sentencing Act as part of the Good Friday Agreement, which said that anyone charged with any... Con the Good Friday Agreement stated that anyone convicted of any offence that happened before 1988 would only serve two years in prison. So any convictions, and there's only been a handful that have happened since then, the people responsible have only served two years. Um, the sentencing act's now been put back to zero. So even if it convicted, he'll never serve a single day in prison. But I suppose he doesn't particularly want to come to Northern Ireland back to, let's face it, you know, the scene of the crime, as they say, just down trial. Mm. And you'll probably argue that the trial shouldn't take place in Derry where, you know, motions would be high and there'd be a whole. So we'll we'll see how, how that goes and if they do. And it's, it's difficult because people get built up and they get, you know, they get good news and they think this is great and then they get knocked down again because yeah. something else happens. And for the Bloody Sundays, I mean, talk about a roller coaster, they have been up and down and up and down in terms of what they received. And you said that was a euphoric day, a diary, the day of the Savile findings and their their loved ones were vindicated in terms of that. Um, and then, you know, they have had many of their hopes dashed and then raised again in terms of the prosecution. But it is interesting because they've stayed such a tight unit Mm. A lot of times when I deal with those campaign groups, they start off as one. And then as the years go on, you know, different sort of agendas and loyalties and, you know, and people then end up falling out and we get splinter groups and splinters of splinter groups. And yet uh, they have stayed as a very tight unit. And that's interesting. It's good to see. And you would hope that they will, you know, see, see their day in court. And even if that court case does not result in him never spending a day in prison, what it does do is it puts um, evidence and disclosure into the public domain. And for a lot of people, even that can be quite a sort of healing process as it is. But I mean, I remain sceptical as someone who has worked here, you know, for I think it's 23, 24 years this year in journalism. I remain sceptical that, you know, that, that people who are accused of actions while in the pay of the state yeah. you know justice justice doesn't doesn't usually come visit them let's say that it certainly complicates it I suppose we'll finish up with the um, you know what happened today bizarre Jamie Bryson uh, admits on X formerly Twitter um, that he is the complainant 
behind this very peculiar situation in Derry that there was uh, members of the Bloody Sunday families walking together to a courthouse in the city. And as you say, they are a very together group and very united and all the rest of it in relation to prosecution for Soldier F. And there was a complaint made to the PSNI that this was a kind of uh, a, a, a march and that uh, the people involved should be investigated for having an unlawful sort of demonstration. Now, the SGLP leader, Colm Eastwood, was it, it sort of presented himself, I think, to Derry Police Station um, for interview, was left sitting for 20 minutes and then walked out the door and said he wasn't having any more to do with it. It sounds the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, and maybe for the Southern listeners, I know you're probably the Northern listeners know, but just briefly, who is Jamie Bryson? Well, Jimmy Bryson is like a sort of, I suppose we, we refer to him as a loyalist, activist and blogger. Um, he's someone who would actually be quite, I suppose, quite close to thinking of the DUP. And that's been shown in recent times in terms of their, he would have led those anti-protocol protests. Um, in connection with this, we have uh, the Parades Commission. The Parades Commission is something that came from the John Cree dispute. It was set up to try and um, give sort of arbitrary uh you know, judgments in terms of whether parades should be allowed to go ahead or not go ahead. It was particularly designed because we had conflict every summer around those parades. It certainly wasn't designed for this purpose. Um, but he's claiming that this was an unlawful possession. Um, mm. You know, I think that had somebody went and made a complaint about, you know, victims from an RA atrocity, you know, walking in unison, giving each other support, going to a courthouse, you'd like to think that the the PSNI would have told them to jog on and wise up to themselves, you know. Um, so the fact that, you know, they're calling people in to even voluntarily be questioned for this, they'll, they'll argue, you know, we have to tick a box if there's a complaint. We have to tick it, you know, unlikely to go anywhere, but whatever. But at the same time, too, I think there has to be common sense in terms of things like this. You know, if someone tries to do something for a publicity stunt, mm-hmm. um, I think it's, it's when, when if, if it was any other circumstances, you'd go, well, you know, political publicity stunts are part of the course. Um, it's part of the rough and tumble of that world. But when it comes to victims of an atrocity and grieving families, mm. uh, I think that the, the police in that circumstance should have, should have said, no, yeah. we're not even accepting this complaint waste up to yourself. And Bryson's point being that, you know, exactly as we've just been talking, that, you know, people in service at state and the military shouldn't be sort of pursued. That's a completely different argument, though. That's yeah, a completely different argument course. than people walking in possession. Yeah. So, you know, that's you go, go and debate that all, all you want in terms of should there be prosecutions. But the, the point is, if the, there is an amnesty, which is what the British government wanted for soldiers, they were told quite clearly there can't be an amnesty for one. There has to be an amnesty for all. Mm-hmm. So that means that, you know, the, the two people who were who we know who were responsible for the, the Shankill bomb, Sean Kelly, who was convicted, and Thomas Begley, who died in that bomb, are clearly not the only two people involved in the Shankill bomb. There's clearly a whole network of people who were involved in that. Um, so they will also benefit from the amnesty. So remember that, you know, we get an amnesty for soldiers, yeah. you get an amnesty for everyone, and the amnesty then applies to people who carried out um, attacks on the community that people like Jimmy Bryson would say they represent. Mm. We shouldn't have given them any publicity there, should we? Um, well, let's you know something. I think it's valid. It's valid in terms of what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, the fact is that the Bloody Sunday families have had an incredible journey. And what we had just said is they have stayed tight as a unit and they made a decision that day. You know, we're going to walk in a very dignified way to the courthouse. And that's what they did. Um, and, you know, I, I think for them, particularly, um, that was obviously a big day for mm-hmm. them. And it was something they wanted to do. Their MP walked with them. 
as you would expect if you're, you're elected to represent people. Um, and so, you know, I think it's it's, it's valid to give it give it a mention. But yeah. it's not obviously their main. I'm sure it's, it's I'm sure it's hardly keeping them awake. Nor is it their main. Um, objective concern. No, I hope not. It's ridiculous and I think it, uh, it it makes the PSNI look ridiculous as well. And I can say There's that because... There's nothing right here that makes the PSNI look ridiculous. <laughs> we'll have to talk about some of them at a later date. Oh, stop. Well, listen, thanks a million for updating on that and um, have a great weekend. Thank you very much. I hope I will. I'm going to head out tomorrow night and have some tapas and some, some uh, wine to celebrate Christmas because I've spent most of this week doing other things yes yeah I know it's been busy well listen we will talk soon maybe it'll be nearly the new year at this stage will it it probably will be the new year and who knows who knows what yeah even crime journalists need a break don't they or come our way between now and then (laughs) All right, thanks a million wherever you and I go Nicola chaos follows (laughs) (laughs) thanks Alison talk to you soon you've been listening to Crime World a podcast from sundayworld.com produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.